Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley. I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing? I'm doing great because I'm reading an ESPN article that says, start of USC, Cal delayed as over a dozen fans protest on field. Said, it wasn't immediately clear what the fans were protesting as they sat back-to-back near the 50-yard line in the middle of the Cal logo. They were protesting their own existence. (laughs) I'm like, like, bro, I I don't think we understand. How dare we exist? I don't don't think we understand what the the point of a protest is. (laughs) If we don't get our message across and whatever it is, we're like, we're protesting. No, what? Turns, turns out you're just assholes. <laughs> actually, I I actually know what they're protesting. Stop bringing Taylor Swift into football is really what they were. They were. <laughs> I feel their pain. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, no, actually, again, uh, we're filming a couple of episodes back to back here. Um, we just finished our Halloween episode. We're doing this one. Um. Feeling good. I did say that I was stressed on the last episode, um, but now I've drank a beer and a half, so um, Woo-hoo. that's right. Feeling good. Um, some other things going on in my life are, uh, besides water polo, because I feel like that was all that I focused on, um, our baby, our baby girl, she's like a week away from being able to smile on purpose, um, oh, okay. so we're excited about that. Um She's growing. She's developing. Um, she's letting us sleep for like seven hours at a time, which is awesome. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, love right now just um, being a dad. My wife's doing a lot of the work. Um, so shout out to Audrey Pierce for being amazing and doing pretty much everything she's been a rock star and 100 she has taken on a lot of the responsibility and and i do want to help her and i and i do help but it's just it's really tough right now with work and all that kind of stuff and you may be sitting there and thinking well, why are you recording this podcast during this time <laughs> um we do have during the weekends we've we've tried to work out schedules and stuff to to help each other out and that kind of stuff um with what we're working on and stuff so um very happy to be a dad um enjoying it um in fact like i don't mind when my wife wakes me up in the morning um in the dead of night to go and change our baby um i just like being able to see her and hold her and and hang out with her i don't wake up on the first go but you know i'm not super alert to waking up to a baby being there all the time but it's been good how are you doing, Tim? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, we enjoyed seeing your baby at your water polo match last early. No, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Was that three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Um, two weeks. Ago. Your wife is one of those moms who other moms hate 
because she doesn't look like she just had a baby. <laughs> um, but baby, it was great seeing the baby. Um, I think if you'd had that, if you had the child before the season started, your parents would love you even more because it was just fun watching all the moms of your uh, players walking by just cooing over the baby. They had so, no idea that that was my wife at that game. They did not? No, they had no clue. They were just like, oh my gosh, that's a cute baby. Oh, that I was thought like, they knew that was... No clue. Nobody knew. Um, every single one of them approached me afterwards because they had seen me and her walking out together. And they were like, <laughs> that was your baby? Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that was it. And they were like, oh my gosh, we were talking about how cute that baby was and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah. And they... Um, and so then my wife showed up this last week on Tuesday to our Mount Whitney game. And so then everybody came around and was like, let me see the baby. So yeah. um, all that kind of stuff, uh, which was good. Um, but no, they thought she was an LD mom, <laughs> which is funny because she was wearing she was wearing Pierce on she her did. back. Yeah, like it was uh, she had. But none of the kids noticed or anything. So um, but it's just it was just humorous. So, uh, yeah, but it was good. Um, yeah, my parents have been super supportive of us. They've given us lots of stuff for our baby. They gave us gifts and, and they've been so great, um, with that. Uh, they ask all the time, how's the baby? How's life? Um, I have a great parent group. Um, and, and I just feel very well supported. So it's been amazing this year, but other than that, said you got to see oh the baby yeah so it was great seeing the baby so uh then you and i got to hang out at another water polo match involving rivals in our town tulare and <laughs> mutual friends coaching those teams so that was fun um so all right what are we drinking Ooh. We are drinking the Party Tricks IPA, which is a 6.8 percenter from Ale Smith. It's a West Coast style India Pale Ale. I've had this one before. It is tasty. I remember liking this one. This is not one we had at Ale Smith. Well, it's not one I had. I had the Tony Gwynn 398 Pale Ale, which I've always found delicious. But um, where did you pick this up from? I got this at Target here in Tulare. Oh, that must be where I've gotten it from before. And I'm surprised I actually had it. I just went over in the beer section and said, oh, what do they have? Oh, I will grab it. And it was a six-pack of Tall Boys. So. Yeah, I think I bought two six-packs last time, and I dropped off a six-pack at Alex's house. I was like, here, have this. Um, it was back when he was um, uh, without a roommate, so he wasn't buying beer to save himself some money and i was like here have some beer on me yeah that's delicious yeah it's great we didn't give ale smith a lot of props on our beer marathon but they have really they good do beer. make tasty beer they do they do make good beer but they do have a very wide selection of beer on their list so um and I got to say, they're not like household names. So like, for example, if I went to Ballast Point, they do have a super wide selection, but I know what I want there, right? Like I know that I'm going to go in and I'm going to get a Sculpin or I'm going to get a, a Dorado. I know you're not wanting a Dorado, but I was. 
No, I yeah, I would agree. I became familiar with them because at certain liquor stores around here, it's actually hard to find just a straight IPA from them. If you're going to find something in our area, it's usually a bomber, which if you're not familiar with that, it's a uh, 24 ounce bottle. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very large can. Very large bottle. Um, and it's usually one of their stouts. Yeah. Um, I think that's what maybe the folks at Alesmith will disagree, but I think they're mostly known their, their top beer, what they're known for are stouts and porters. So, which are also tasty if you really like those, that style of beer. And apparently they do have a really, really tasty triple IPA, but I've never had it. So every time that I've gone to Alesmith, it's never there. So, uh, Bevmo used to have the 398 Tony Gwynn Pale Ale in six packs, but I haven't seen that for quite a while. Uh, Kawea Brewing Company also has a really tasty triple IPA, but they've never released yeah, it. Yeah, they've again. never done it again. It was a they, one off. They did it one time, and everybody loved it, and Colton had five of them. And then they started cutting people off at three. Yeah, you guys, you and Eric got cut off, and I think people marveled that you'd had three to begin with. Um, yeah, I drink them. I like slurped them down. So we had, they were only giving them to us in eight ounce pours, though. So they were giving them to us in eight ounce pours. So they they came out with a beer that was called To Be Foul. And, to Be Foul. And we had, and they were giving us eight ounce pours. And I had showed up and I said, yeah, let's try the triple. And Nolan and Eric were the only people there at that time. And they were talking about something I don't even remember. I couldn't join in the conversation. I think they were actually talking about Letterkenny and I hadn't watched Letterkenny yet. Um, and so they were talking about it back and forth. And I was like, I have nothing to say about this. So I drank down my first glass, no problem, because I didn't do any talking. And then went back inside, got another, came back out. They were still talking about it. Finished that one. And I mean, that was only 16 ounces, but. Then had the third, then went for the fourth and the fifth, and then they were like, "All right, after this, you're cut off, and we're cutting everybody off at three. <laughs> and it wasn't because we were being obnoxious or anything; it was just like, no, they're just being. I think they just citizens. sat there and they were like, "Yeah, we need to have personal responsibility yeah. over this. You know, with great power comes great responsibility," <laughs> as Spider-Man once said. So, um, yeah. Well. I mean, we started this like it's a new episode, so you now have to answer the question, what are you listening to? What am I listening to? Uh, did I listen to anything else this week besides grunge and... Ooh, Tim was in a nostalgic point of view. He's listening to Smashing Pumpkins again. Uh, you know what? Smashing Pumpkins... The world is a vampire... So, <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins are one of those, I, I'm kind of torn on them. They, they have moments of genius, and otherwise they're, I find them quite annoying. I actually like that song, just so we're clear. Um, their <laughs> best song is Drown, which I think on one of the albums you can find the actual single of it, but on the singles movie soundtrack, and if you're unfamiliar with the movie singles, it is uh, basically a movie, the movie, a movie that came out by Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe also did Jerry Maguire. He did uh, Almost Famous, which Almost Famous is about him. He wrote... Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but he did not direct it. And 
he so he wrote and directed the movie singles about the grunge movement it is the movie that revealed the grunge movement to america as grunge music was becoming popular on the radio and so mm. on that soundtrack there is a album version of drown which is about eight minutes long there is a tall tale i'm pretty sure it's accurate that on the original album which drown is on uh what's the lead singer's name uh shoot the lead singer who's a maniac they recorded the entire album he he sent everybody home he's listening to the masters and does not like what they came up with and without telling any of the members of the band lays just totally undoes what they did and like lays down the drums himself lays down the bass himself lays down the guitar by himself totally redoes it and they don't find out until like they're listening to what gets released what's been pressed and they're like that's not what we, billy corgan that's who it is billy that's not what we did yeah i redid everything so i don't know if that story is actually true it fits in line with how much of a maniac he was um and as another side story the alter ego that uh, country singer uh, Garth Brooks was doing, that he that alter ego was supposed to be like a Billy Corgan character. Oh, that's funny. That's um, so, and why Garth chose to do that, I don't know. I think he's probably he must have gotten bored at that point. Anyway, on the album singles, there's a full version of the song, and it's got like a three or four minute guitar solo at the end, and it's just it's like very great atmospheric music problem is and i've noticed this more and more on online services if you try to you can find the album all but that song are available it's grayed out and when you click on it it says not available in your region it's like only available in europe why i have no idea that's interesting so I had to go out in the garage and find my, because I like just had it in my head, like I have to hear the song. I've got to hear the song this week. So I went out in the garage, found my CD, and because I've got crates of CDs out right, in the garage, right, right. and found it and ripped it, and then was like, oh, finally I can move on with life because I I heard it and I listened to it three or four times, and then at night I would listen to put my. Uh, airpods in and listen to it it's just it is a it's kind of like uh prince's purple rain you know there's the radio version where it kind of stops but if you hear the album version it just kind of keeps going and going and and there's just some really cool musicianship so anyway that's how i feel about uh live version of stairway to heaven it's like i can't listen to stairway to heaven oh yeah the live version like i can't I was like, yes, I want to hear the seven-minute guitar solo. That is exactly what I want. Yeah, like, no, yeah, there's a lot of where they, <laughs> like, when you get the producer out of the way and just lit kind of what – sometimes – look, a lot of times producers actually hone in and take a lot of crap out and maximize – they know what they're doing. Efficiency for radio. They know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, sure, 100%. But I agree. Some of the best stuff is when, like, the actual musician gets to do what they want and they just turn it loose, so uh, – the opposite version of that story is uh, Leonard Skinner was recording their first album down at the, it wasn't Muscle Shoals. It was the other studio that had opened up in 
the same town as Muscle Shoals in Mississippi. Uh, some of the guys. Are you going to tell us about Freebird right now? I am going to tell you about Freebird. <laughs> uh, Freebird! I yell that at every concert. Every Everybody's probably annoyed. So, but what it. people don't know is, so the Muscle Shoals was this preeminent studio. There was a studio there in Mississippi. There was one in Los Angeles, too. Pretty much all of the music you listen to in the late 50s through the early 70s, pop, a lot of rock, it actually has these studio musicians playing behind them. Um, and they are literally the world's best musicians. So a couple of the guys at uh, Muscle Shoals get upset. They're not getting, They're starting to figure out how much how much profit they're churning out for other people and they're not seeing it. And, and they're all local kids. That's the amazing part of the Muscle Shoals story. They're, they're all folks that this guy finds in like Alabama, Mississippi. Right. A couple of them say, that's it, we're out, we're going to start our own studio. So uh, one of these guys ha- is, is brought in Leonard Skinner. I think they were there with the Rolling Stones at the same time. Uh, Rolling Stones cut one of their albums at Muscle Shoals as well. One of their top, one of their best ones. Um, anyway, uh, while they're there <laughs> trying to cut this album, they find out that their roadie is actually like a trained classical pianist. <laughs> so when you hear piano and organ on any Leonard Skinner album, that's their original roadie who they just discovered actually knows how to play uh uh, any kind of instrument with white and black keys on it phenomenally well. So that that's there's that's an interesting side point. But then so they cut Freebird and the producer, again, one of these amazing musicians, instantly knows like this is an instant classic. They finish the album and he calls up the studio and says, You have to put the We've got this like nine minute song in there. You got to put it on there. Like, no, we're not putting it on there. They don't. They don't even want to put the, the the song on the album. And he's like, no, you have to put it on the album. And two, it's an instant hit single. And they're like, no, because you know back then radio was three minutes, right? And that's it. And he's like, you're making a mistake. And they said you can either cut it to three minutes, or or leave it or leave it as is on the album, but it will never be a single. So they all have a powwow and they basically the band's like, look, we'll do what you have, what you think. And he's like, you're not touching that song. That song is gold. So we'll just, we'll just go with it. So then they go on a world tour. They go on a tour with, uh, the who they open for the who. Yes. They go on a summer tour with the who. So they're doing all the big shows in uh the uk i think they do some in europe too and then maybe some in the united states but basic when they by the they start opening for the who and they play this song and people cannot get enough of this song like where can we get this it's on the album and then they have the infamous plane crash and ronnie what's his name dies and that and then because they died, because he died, and people felt really bad about this up and coming band, which still they went on and did some great things. It was a culmination of the tour where people are like, "This is the most amazing song ever," and the band, then the band having this tragic accident that the song, song finally comes up on the radio, and then yes, becomes the bane of every rock band's existence. Shut the fuck up! It's <laughs> phenomenal. Freebird. Uh, oh, just it's so amazing. we're clear, I yelled it. 
at the Tulare County Fair, uh, Eli Youngman, who is actually not a not unknown country music band. I was like, they're not super popular, but they're 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 known. They've had a couple of hits. Uh, some of those would be Crazy Girl, um, uh, even if it breaks your heart. Um, uh, they've had a couple of more recent hits than when I was in high school. But when we were in high school, Eli Youngman came to uh, the Tulare County Fair. Uh, they were interacting with the crowd. I yelled out "Free Bird" as loud as I possibly could. Right. I'm not even drunk, like right, like that. It's got to be the drunk guy in the crowd that yells right. it out. But I yelled it like I was drunk, so therefore it like carried. Free bird. And they played it, they and did. it was awesome. Yes, they did at the Tulare County Fairgrounds. They played "Free Bird." They said, they said "Free Bird," and they went for it. And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" So, um, it- yeah. I think that Leonard Skinner means a lot to a lot of different people um, out there. I, they've got such a unique sound. Um, I I like Leonard Skinner, so um, their best song is "Simple Man." In my opinion, my favorite song is "It's a great Man. song." It is a phenomenal song. I think they've got a really good understanding of there's like some sort of like pacing with music. Like that's also what with yes, Freebird, and, it's like, and even though. You, the the band you saw did a cover of it and i'm sure they did a pretty good job of it and that song's become a cliche that song still is revelatory to pay to play at that pace not just the guitar but every the drums to, to play at that pace for that long the bass to play at that frenetic pace that is what well, also to dream that up and just be like we're going balls to the wall for and like, again and again actually a song that i think very similar and I know that I brought it up earlier is again, it's that stairway to heaven kind of thing where it's, it's this slow kind of ballad that's, that's kind of going in the, in the very beginning. Um, and then, and then it builds and builds and builds. And then, and then you let the guitarist just go like, you know, and like, that's why I can't listen to stairway to heaven if it's not the live version, because the guitarist just goes right. and runs with it. And then honestly, and then uh, Leonard Skinner's, or, uh, 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 not Leonard Skinner, um, Led Zeppelin's lead singer just gets on the mic and just lays into it for, you know, there's, the, there's emotion, there's hype in right. it. Um, from that building of the guitar and that kind of stuff. It's just things that you would have never thought possible. Um, and when you listen to it in the studio, it's like, it's good. Right. But it's better out here, you know? Yeah. So I'm a big proponent or a big person that's really into live music. Uh, another example of that is John Mayer's, uh, John Mayer on, I think it's the trio it's the album with his trio. I don't remember the name of that album. It has Gravity on it. Oh, yes. Gravity. And uh, there's several albums. That There's the double album that he did in Los Angeles. There's a really good version of Gravity. I have a bootleg version of it. It's a uh, bootleg in that he did some kind of show. I think it was a introductory concert for that album. He did it at the Madison Square Garden. So Madison Square Garden in New York has the big arena where the basketball team, where the Rangers play and the Knicks play. But there's also a smaller venue 
at Madison Square Garden where they do concerts, and he did a concert there, and somehow DirecTV got the only, got the, like, exclusive rights to play this thing. Nice. And they had it on one of their channels, so, you know, it played, like, three or four times a day for, like, a month or something. <laughs> right. So I jerry-rigged my TiVo at the time. Nice. <laughs> to record it and then get it off the TiVo so I could rip it to audio, and I still have that copy. And it's, it is, the whole album, the whole live uh, concert is John Mayer at its best, but his version of Gravity in this thing is just, like, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. It's just him at its best. It's the other guitarist who I think played for, who played for a bunch of big bands as well, playing in it as well. It's just, it's phenomenal. So, yeah, live stuff. I we Danique and I heard him actually, yeah. Danique and I heard him in Fresno at the Save Mart Center, and even though Save Mart Center doesn't have the best uh, acoustics, acoustics, he did the same version. It ripped on for like ten minutes, and it I I was like, this could go on for a half hour. I don't care. It's just the guitar was so good. And then um, another example of that is. Uh, as you all know, we go to Vegas. Uh, we used to have a photographer when we shot in Vegas many years ago. His name was Warren. Warren was a self-made man. He did trucking in Chicago. He knew people, and <laughs> he somehow overheard me and a couple other people at this Vegas uh, trip on a Thursday or Friday saying, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd's in town. He's at the New Orleans. It'd be great to go. Like half hour later, Warren shows up and he's got four tickets for us. That's awesome. So we go to watch Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and Kenny Wayne Shepherd ends his show. He's got his original singer because his he doesn't sing. He's got a guy who's who sings for him, and then that guy left the band for a while, and he's so he's the original singer is there. And the guy who sings, I can never remember this guy's name. The dude's got a great baritone voice, but they end the show. With a, ver a version of Voodoo Child that when I I I started the clock on my watch on my phone as soon as I realized they were playing Voodoo Child I'm like all right I'm gonna time this thing because I know knew he could go long I record my stop my phone at like fourteen thirty six so the song went in for over fifteen minutes a version of Voodoo Child and it was. At no point was like, all right, I'm, I've had enough of this. It was just like, you just keep going. You just keep going to like four in the morning. That's it right. was amazing. And we showed up. Then it showed up first thing like we do in Vegas, like eight in the morning. Like, so how was the show? We're like, all we could talk about all weekend was Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child. So it was great. That's awesome. Yeah, there's something to be said. I was like, even when I was in my in my high school years i still loved i really actually what i really liked was i loved and you can this is probably the millennial gen z thing i loved acoustic sets um so i love people that that sang uh particular songs and even why um so like earlier we talked about the um in an earlier episode or the Halloween episode we talked about, um, uh, he does a halftime breakdown of, uh, the killer song, Mr. Brightside. I really actually do like halftime breakdowns. There's something that I like about, about a slow down pace of, 
of high amplitude songs. Right. Um, there's just something to it where it, it adds an extra layer of meaning to the song. Um, some of my favorite pop punk bands have, uh, there were, there was an album series that came out called punk goes or pop punk goes acoustic. And so they would play their songs, but they would play them with an acoustic guitar. Um, some of their, some of their most popular songs with an acoustic guitar and just them and their voice, uh, singing. Um, and that was really great. Um, and so anytime I was actually sad, um, we, uh, me and Nolan went and saw Eric Church, who's one of our favorite country musicians. Um, when I was in, uh, we were in college, we were 20, I think, um, we might've been 21. We might've been able to drink at that point, but we went, uh, to go see Eric Church at the St. Mart Center, um, in Fresno and, and we had a blast. That concert was awesome. That's definitely up there as one of my favorite concerts of all time. I love Eric Church. And the next, um, the next concert that he, we, that happened, the whole band got sick. So something happened in Fresno. I don't know what it was, but the whole band got sick. And so literally one week later after we had seen him in concert, it was just Eric Church who got on stage and played an acoustic guitar set for the entire audience for the entire like two hour show oh, that wow. he was scheduled for. And I would love that. I would have loved that so much. Like I was like, I don't care about the band. I just want, and he just did an acoustic set for uh, his songs. And he played, and also what I love about when we went and saw Air Church, he played deep cuts of things when he was first starting out. When he first started out, he had a, a an album that was just a cover of, um, of Waylon Jennings songs. And one of my one of mine and Nolan's favorite songs to this day from Eric Church is Chevy Van by Eric Church. It's a phenomenal song. Um, and it's it's originally by Waylon Jennings. And and if you hear it by Waylon Jennings, you may sit there and you're like, I like it by Waylon better. Um, I like it by Eric Church better. I, I just like Eric Church's sound um, a little bit better on it. And th- that's how also people, just so we're clear, uh, People like Chris Stapleton's um, Tennessee Whiskey over uh, George Jones's uh, Tennessee Whiskey. But I'm a big fan of George Jones's Tennessee Whiskey, so uh, you can't take that one over me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think there's there's a lot of great stuff about live music out there where – I, I think it gets a bad rap. I, I understand that the sound quality is not as good. So if you if you want to put that out there, okay, I get that. But there is something really to be said about live music and going and being a part of... Uh, I was like, 40 live. Oh, 40, 40 live. So uh, there is a... There is a special edition of... Uh, Joshua down. Tree. Oh, I was like, Rattle there's down. a special drop of Joshua Tree. I it's not on Spotify. It's on Apple Music, and it's like a four disker. And there's a version of Forty Live. I think it's recorded in Chicago. I think I might have used it on this podcast at one point uh, to end the show when we did our YouTube show. 
Uh, is it? Wait, it is it goes the, on and on. Is and it the? the is it then, the Chicago one from the Vertigo tour? Because I remember there was a Vertigo tour where they did Forty Live, and it goes on. It goes on and, and on, on, and then they stop singing, and the crowd starts singing, and the crowd just sings. And you're it the sitting whole time. there and like, and as a Christian, you're like, do they know what they're singing? And if they do, you know, whether they do or do, they don't, but you know, it's just amazing to hear these people. Whether they do or don't, they're singing literally from the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, what's kind of strange is Mullins all of a sudden then just starts playing. Like, he apparently comes out and just plays his drums for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's from the Vertigo tour. They stuck it on this special edition of the Joshua Tree. But that, it's phenomenal. It'll give you, it'll give shivers down It will. And, I, and I it's one of those. I think that's, I think that's... Since you and I both know that song, that's why we talked about you two as a Christian band and why. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, again, 90% of the people at this concert don't know they're singing worship music. But if we could pull that off, that would be amazing. Yeah. And also, something to be said is. Yeah. And. U2's live music is phenomenal. I listen to U2 live all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, I want... That's all that I want, is I just want their live music. I want... I mean, I love their studio music, too. Don't don't get me wrong. No, the version of Bad is live is way better than the the live version. Which isn't Rattle and Hum. That's uh, Wide Awake in America. Wide Awake in America. There, there, There is a version of it in the movie. There's a version of and which is also better, but the best version is why is Wide Awake in America, and it's yeah, it's probably my favorite song of the. And music. try not to lose your shit, like when you're like when you're listening to that music. Like I know when that when 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 the synths come in, and it's synths, right? Yeah. At the very beginning of Bad and Wide Awake in America, and the crowd goes nuts, and then the dun, 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 from from the edge, it's just like, oh man, this is something special. Yeah, uh, and it is. Um, if and, you have a chance to watch Wide Awake in America, do watch it. There's a wonderful moment because that song, I've never seen. If it, bands are often very quiet about what. The music's about Pink Floyd will not talk. There's probably three or four albums that are clearly about the original lead singer literally going crazy. Um, Dark Side of the Moon's about that. Uh, Wish You Were Here's about that. But they won't talk about it. They don't openly talk about it. Said, yes, this is about Sid Barrett, our friend, um, becoming crazy. Uh if you're if you've heard bad before, you're not really sure what the song's about. The song is about someone who has a friend who cannot kick an addiction. That moment becomes very poignant when you're watching the Rattle and Hum movie. Because when the when the band is going to continue to play, Bono walks off stage and he I think he gives he goes up to the bassist Adam Clayton and he either I think he gives him a hug because that's what the song's about it's about Adam who if you know anything about YouTube had heroin problems 
the rest of the band members were had all become Christians. They were all in, but they didn't cast Adam aside. Adam had profound heroin problems for years, and that is who that song's about. It's about Adam, and them not not knowing how to deal with their buddy who can't kick this habit. Yeah, and it's it's a powerful song. Me and next week when uh, Tim and I get back together, we're both going to talk about how all we've listened to for the past week was just YouTube. <laughs> Um, because it's just, yeah, I remember a lot of these, I mean, yeah, there's, and there's, I mean, as much as you could sit there and say there's so much raw emotion in, in music, in the studio, there's something about, again, if, if you read... It, it just about the psychology about it. There's something about all the people together singing together and that raw emotion just consuming you and you being able to go through it um, that just takes it to a completely other level. Um, they, because, played ha- they played halftime at the Super Bowl in 2001. And it's the second best Super Bowl performance of all time. But they were the perfect band. Well, it would have been 2002 at this point. But it was. this is post-9-11. It was uh, Rams, Patriots. And, and, like, here's the thing. The reason why it's second best is you can't beat singing Purple Rain in the no. fucking rain. Yeah, Purple like, Rain. <laughs> purple Rain in the rain on an acrylic stage in, like, 12-inch heels with like, an electric guitar. I'm sorry, where, where everyone is worried you're going to literally get electrocuted. I'm sorry, Bono. You just can't compete. You there's, can't compete there, There's with nothing that. you can do. But they were the perfect band for that moment. Of It was like a moment of healing for them to be there. And, yeah, we were we were in the middle of two, uh, one war and getting ready. You know, open talk about invading Iraq and all this stuff is still going on. But just to have them play their music and even though they're irish they love america and everything it stands for it was it was profound yeah all right we've stumbled into another episode of youtube love fest <laughs> where you at on your beer halfway <laughs> this is really tasty it is i'm like cali i don't remember how tasty it was like, wow. Uh, <laughs> I have really, I'm, I'm, this is not, listener, this is not a stunt. I have really shitty breaking news. Matthew Perry has been found dead at 54. Friend star. That's really sad. Chandler's dead. There's no cause of death, of course. Those kind of things usually take a while. Oh, no. That's really terrible. No, that's not good. Oh, damn it. Now I have to watch Friends again. Yeah, I just got the, the notification on my phone. 54. He's just older than me. Just a little bit older than me, which is weird because... It never occurred. I'm terrible with age. Just total aside. Like, there's people who are my age 
that look older and I was like, oh, that, that's an old person. And then there's, I just, I'm always, my mind's always in a perpetual state of youth, which is probably a good thing in most cases. Cause that, you know, I hear a lot of people my age be like, I feel like I'm getting old and every once in a while something will happen. And I'm like, yeah, that makes me feel old. But generally I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'll die a moron who still thinks he's 38 or 28. But 54, then it occurred to me that while I was watching Friends, that person was pretty much my age. So, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that's a bummer. I, uh... According to TMZ, emergency, emergency personnel first responded to a call reporting cardiac arrest at the house. No drugs were found on the scene and no foul play is suspected. It was, I know it was, it was well known when the show was being recorded or filmed that he had a cigarette issue and they made it an issue both in the show and the cast actually made a show and you can tell when you're watching friends when matthew perry is smoking and when he's not because when he's smoking he is unbelievably skinny he's one of those chain smokers who apparently probably only drinks coffee and never eats and then when he's not (laughs) he's got other kind of oral fetish so he's eating or something because he it would be like one season he'd be like blue balloon up and like yeah he's he's they got him to not smoke again it was like and then next one he's like super super skinny (laughs) you're like oh yeah he's back to smoking and then yeah there were episodes and seasons where they'd make a big deal stop smoking so wow that's that's terrible that is terrible i um Friends is not a show for your generation. It is for mine. Although Friends, it's technically not really... F- well, I guess it is. He's my age. I never thought it was mine. So Friends is... It's not a show for our generation in the standpoint of... But here's the thing is what I would say. is So you can sit there and say that it's the, it's the late 90s, early, early 1000s that Friends is, is for. Um, adults at the time. Um, but... The argument could be made that it's very similar in the way of Cheers, where it's where it's timeless, right? It's not we're not necessarily dealing with. Uh, there are topics that are. Yeah, those are not late '90s, early 2000s. No, it, issues, it's really. it is actually you're dealing with the issues of f- friends. You're, right? Yeah, like those are early, uh, transitioning from college to adulthood. Right, trying and, to get your your adult life situated, what, what and that's that why mean? and that's why synonymous with it and what a lot of people equate to friends in my generation is how I met your mother, correct? Um, which is for me personally, I'm a bigger fan of how I met your mother. Um, I like the characters a lot more. Uh, I always found everyone but Matthew Perry's character annoying. In yeah, Friends, gets... I was like, I Ross gets on my nerves, Monica oh, gets on my nerves, annoying. Rachel gets on my nerves, Phoebe gets on my nerves. Mm-mm. No, 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 you're fine. Not, not Phoebe. No, you can you can sit there and say that. <laughs> I'm telling you that this is how it seems to me. Is like Joey gets on my nerves. Like they get on my nerves, but Matthew Perry's character seems very realistic to me. I went to where I'm like, 100. percent Chandler, it, okay, that makes sense in my he in my eyes. He has so many lines that are just, I mean, they're popping in my head right now. Yeah, says, says the wrong thing. 
I think he spills the beans on Ross and his girlfriend or something and says, rock, hard place. He puts his hands around his head, rock, hard place, me. Then, oh, no, no. The one where he spills the the beans to Rachel is, uh, oh, no, where's the parachute? Where did my parachute go? There's always just so many lines. Yeah, and so whenever... My wife was really into Friends. um, And I always, like... I think that, again, but I will never, ever not say that that show is extremely relatable for multiple generations of friends to where there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to go through and you're going to be like, yes, that's us. Um, I still remember the, (laughs) what's funny is the, the crate and barrel episode where Phoebe is like, you know, I'm opposed to this. Rachel keeps buying cute things for their apartment or whatever. Oh, yeah. And she's like, I'm getting them from Crate and Barrel. And they're like, ah. And then her and Phoebe walk by and she's like, no, don't look. <laughs> and Phoebe's like, how could you buy from this corporate store? Yes. And then she's like, but all I can think about is how we don't have that lamp. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they go in and they buy it and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny. I, I think the show is humorous. It just... I was like, ah. so whenever kid like people talk about, we were on a break, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, I've never seen that episode or anything about it. I I, I know that it's from Friends, but I don't know. Um, I I was a big advocate for How I Met Your Mother, and I still say that if you liked Friends, I'm not saying that this should be a show that replaces Friends, but I think that you should that most people should watch How I Met Your Mother. Um, and I think a lot of people will will find that a lot of the topics that they discuss is fairly similar. Um, the friend dynamic that they have in that show is very similar to Friends. You know, Joey and, Joey and Barney are very similar. Ross and uh, Ted are very similar. Uh, Rachel and... Uh, robin are not super similar as far as like career goals that kind of stuff um as far as their outlook on life and family they're not very similar there but then you have the couple but they were the couple the entire time as opposed to and and chandler and marshall are not the same and lily and monica are not the same either so um from there and then there's no phoebe um in that dynamic so uh, there are differences. Uh, they stay true to their character the entire time. Um, it has a shitty ending. So if anybody's like, well, How I Met Your Brother has a shitty ending. But I don't think anybody liked the Friends ending either. So No. Um, nor the Seinfeld ending. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> nobody knows how to end their show very well. Um, yeah, everyone hates the Sopranos ending too. I think that... If you've ever been a How I Met Your Mother fan, and I've said this through and through, is I think that the show actually would have ended really well. I think it was just kind of weird. There was this weird stretch. There was a weird stretch in the movie, uh, or in the TV show, where it was just like, ugh. Where it was like, okay, you, you took it too far. To where I, I, I don't disregard the fact that divorce is a natural element of our world. Um... And what they ended up having in the show was they had two toxic people form a relationship. And yes, nine time, 99 out of 100 times, the toxic relationship ends in turmoil. So that's 
and that was something that they presented in the show but then they also had it to where you know like the kids kind of called the bluff in the entire thing at the end of that tv show where they were like so dad basically you told us this whole story you spent you know nine years telling us this whole story of how you met our mom but really it was actually about how you are in love with our aunt robin yeah, there's a there's a Ryan Reynolds movie with uh, it's got a lot of ladies in it because he's dating all. Ah, what's the name of that movie? Similar theme. I enjoy the movie. It's oh, it's Rachel Vice. Uh, oh shoot! I got you. I got you. Basically, his daughter is trying to figure out how. He met her mom, and uh, at this point in the movie, they're divorced, and then where he's going from there, and it's it's kind of the similar vein where it just definitely kind of, maybe definitely maybe it's an enjoyable movie. Um, it's a the quintessential Ryan Reynolds rom com, um, but it has that sort of same undertone of just kind of like diminishing the destructiveness of divorce yeah and it's well yeah it's just kind of you know shit happens that's just you know that's kind of just the normal thing of like marriage two or three is what sticks if you're listening to this just for full disclosure my wife was married twice before she married me so i mean that's that is yes it's true but uh i while that's true, I think what Colton and I are speaking of, we don't necessarily need Hollywood normalizing it. Instead, it should be like, what's the ideal? So there's a level of uncomfortableness when things are just being kind of stated like, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, and it was just kind of a bummer because they had actually what was the big issue was they had made it out to where these two characters had changed, right? It was mm. they were dynamic um and then you made the and then you made one of the characters so one of the characters changed and stayed changed and then the other one which was Barney which would be the Joey character didn't want to like after being changed was like oh I want to revert back mm. which again is is a reality of the show or is a reality of the world but also at the same time where it was like you had made them go through this change and you had built this up for several seasons to where there was this change happening, this this thing that was going on. And to where it meant something, especially in that final season, it meant something to both of them. And then just in the last episode or the last two episodes, you all of a sudden just wanted to throw it all out the window. Right. Where it was like, why did you do that? Um, you had just built this character up to where it was like, they had been this the whole time and then this one person was able to get them to change and overcome a lot of their negative personality traits that we would often view as negative um and then all of a sudden you're like okay we're gonna revert them back so that way this person could be with this other person and it was like because again you're writing this story right you know and it was just like okay and then it made it seem like the main character wasn't actually in love with his wife he was more in love with this other girl the entire time so it was just like all right then <laughs> um you know so it was just 
How I Met Your Mother didn't end very well. Um, so, but other than that, the entirety of the show was. I highly recommend. To I will anybody. say there's a level of cleverness in that. So, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know I'm not a screenwriter. <laughs> but, however, UCLA has a very nice film school. And while I was attending UCLA, I took a couple. Screen- it's not as nice as USC's. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I took a couple screenwriting classes because I was thinking about doing that. So the Ross Rachel storyline is the that's like standard archetype of any television show. Now oh. not, not all television shows do it, but it's Sam and Diane, it's Ross and Rachel. It's even even though they don't get back get together with with each other, that's why you're tuning in to Seinfeld to see whether or not uh Jerry and uh what's her name get together. That's just sort of the standard thing of there's uh it's the underlying theme of suits where you have the main lawyer in the show and his secretary and you're like they're gonna get together. Yes. So and usually they do. And so the kick the you know, the punchline is we're gonna write this show out. You mean the finally... hot secretary that's been helping him the entire time? You're just like, Oh man, I don't know if him and Donna are gonna get together. <laughs> Donna, which so I say this because my wife and I just watched Suits for the first time. I had no idea how good that show was. It's actually a phenomenal show. But yeah, you can see you know, like... You know that of... its revival was actually caused by TikTok? Did you know that? Mm-mm. So there was not a lot of... There wasn't a lot of traffic with it on... USA. When it was when it first came I remember out. it was on USA and I was like... It just seemed like a vapid... Yeah, there wasn't a lot useless of useless show to me. I was like, I'm not watching that. There wasn't a lot of traction with it, and then they started posting. And then uh, in 2019, 2020, they started posting clips of it on TikTok. Really? And people started following it, um, and and people started watching it, and it was just like, oh yeah, this the show's. They put really it on good. Netflix, and I was like, all right, I like that. De- I like thought about it, thought about, it, and then started watching it. We're gonna have to rewatch it because my wife got like finally started getting into like season three, so she's like, "Oh, we need to watch this because I miss all the stuff." I was like, "Yeah, I kept telling you while you're on your phone in the it's same a, room." But it's a very well done show. It, there's a whole level a level of depth there that I did not at all anticipate is going on. That that show is very much about generational mistakes and uh trauma and why and why how trauma informs how people behave and all that kind of stuff so anyway yes donna and camera harvey harvey so yeah so for how i met your mother to kind of flip that archetype it's kind of a clever way to do it I, i agree with you i don't know that it's all that satisfying there's a reason why the archetype of people getting together works so when they flip it and that's not how the thing works, I'm, I can see why that's just kind of like, eh, that's not what I wanted. All right, well. All this sparked from Matthew Perry, ladies Matthew and gentlemen. Matthew Perry, rest in peace, my I friend. just texted my wife. I just texted her Matthew Perry died, and she said, shut up, you're lying. Um, my wife is a big Friends fan. We both go back and forth, and again, this is something that's fairly common for my generation. Is again, you have the math, you have the How I Met Your Mother fans versus the Friends fans of who's, which one is the better sitcom television show? And my wife has always been the Friends um, fan, which I 
I again, I have no discredit to the friend show or anything. It just wasn't for me and and that kind of stuff. But uh, I've only ever loved Matthew Perry's character on. Oh, that's the only. Always... That's the only reason why I ever watched the show, and I've always said that the entire time. I was like, I only ever watch it for Chandler because he's fucking hilarious. He's hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> He's hilarious. He has his uh, hilarious. his uh, uh, God damn it. the word escapes me. Um, so if you want to watch it, I think it's on HBO Max. So if you're it's sad, also, is it not on Netflix anymore? It is not on Netflix anymore. Ah, that's a bummer. A Hulu? No. No, it's on oh, well, HBO Max. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google this real quick. Uh, no, in fact, Netflix ratings were down because they'd lost friends and had not replaced it with anything. And guess what? Netflix is back up, and you know what's doing it? By far, the number one watch show on Netflix is Suits. Yeah, I know. Suits that's is I driving. Think. All right. This... Sorry, folks. You've This is how far are we into this episode. You can get it on Hulu. We are an hour. Okay, you can watch. All right. Well, you can watch it without episode, without commercials on. You can watch it on Hulu without commercials. Uh, fucking pay the extra two dollars. I don't pay any money. I whatever I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, anyway, yeah, whatever. <laughs> are you uh, are you saying this on on air sure. right now? <laughs> I am a pirate. R. <laughs> uh, say. <laughs> Suits? Yeah, we're an hour in. Netflix spends a hell of a lot of money on its own content. They know they don't make any money on their own content. The only reason why people watch Netflix is when they have Seinfeld, Friends, and or now the, Suits. Or it used to be The Office. Or The Office. Yeah. They, everyone pays for Netflix so they can watch ad-free... <laughs> Just so we're clear, Reruns. actually, just so we're clear for anybody who's listening to this, I actually really enjoyed Netflix series that I actually enjoyed. I enjoyed Daredevil when it first came out. I watched like two episodes. It was too dark for me. Well, Punisher was really dark. Oh, that's very dark too. I was like, I enjoyed Daredevil the first season when it first came out. Yeah, and I kind of enjoyed the second season. I never watched the third. Uh, I enjoyed... I liked... What's the X-Men one? Um, they're like... Uh, Daredevil. I was not thinking Daredevil. I was thinking Jessica Jones or something. Oh, no. That, that one, one was no, really... That no, was bleak. I was, I was like, like oh, I was like, we could get into why I didn't enjoy that one. Um, the other one, I the Umbrella Academy. Oh, that one. That one was like. Never, I haven't watched that one. Uh, I enjoyed that one. Uh, the multiple different storylines, kind of stuff. If you're over the superhero superpower thing, that's okay. But understand that pretty much every story that you ever watch, somebody has some sort of superhero element to them. To where again, you can make the claim that suits. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah I was there's, like, there's nothing normal. That's not a normal law show at all. There's right. nothing normal about those. Attorneys. Right, exactly. And then uh, third one that I liked, I really like. Actually, I think that the Witcher show on Netflix is actually really well done. Um, I think that they're doing a good job and they can actually compete with 
the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon and uh, the whatever show on it's also on Amazon is um, the Wheel of Time show on Amazon as well. I think that the Witcher show beats out the other two um, as far as a fantasy show. Um, I started watching season two of The Wheel and I think I fell asleep in the middle of episode one. It's too slow. I need to watch it. I need to just go through and watch The Wheel of Time. I watched the first episode and that was it. Um. Yeah, I need to watch Wheel of Time. I'm. I've gotten through a majority of the books. Actually, well, yeah, we're gonna go. We're not gonna talk about it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really good original content that Netflix has, but just so. looking at the raw data, it's the reruns that fund all of their stuff. So I've. I've yet and I am watching right now the latest season of Bra- uh, British Baking Show. We should talk about Bra- British Baking Show. I say that, wait a minute. I, out of original content being produced, I still say Apple TV is at the top. Absolutely true. But I'd say Netflix is second. I, 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 I agree. I agree. I don't think Hulu's coming out with anything that I'm like, oh man, gotta watch that or whatever. Um, but I mean, like, people love Stranger Things. People love. I was like, there's a huge fan base that really enjoys The Witcher shows. Um, and which, like I said, if you're watching a fantasy show, I think that The Witcher one is the best one. But I think that the wit- the reason why The Witcher is the best, um, is because, well, I don't know about the third season. I can't lead into that, but. There has always been this struggle in The Witcher between everyone in the world sees the monsters as the monsters, but really what it is is that the monsters are actually the humans. Um, And Geralt, which is the main character, has to always constantly choose between the, the better of two evils. Um, and it usually has to choose the human one because that's who pays him his check. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, it's, oh my goodness, the moral dilemma that are constantly facing him in the books and the show is just like, you feel for him. You're just like, golly, who, who can make that decision? But really, actually, it's a it's almost like a satire on how our world is where you're in this world where you know that exists so anyways i digress oh yeah okay so this is beer number two it is a play on mayberry Whatever that old tiny black and white TV show was. Uh, it's a collaboration between El Segundo and Smog City, which are two fantastic breweries. So, Mayberry USA, Mayberry USA, I think is it, but 
But now it's Mayberry or Smogberry IPA. Smogberry IPA. While she was still alive. For parents, though, there are many, there may be nothing as agonizing as the ongoing terror of children being held captive by an ISIS-style jihadist terrorist organization that revels in Jewish suffering. As one parent put it, that would be worse than death. There have been widespread grassroots effort to bring attention to the kidnapped civilians, especially the children. One information campaign that has been gaining traction is called Let the World Know, which has start, which was started by Anna Tambini, an Israeli woman who lives in San Francisco. Volunteers across America and around the world have been hanging posters of the hostages on streetlights and posts, subway walls, and coffee shops. Each poster has an individual picture and name with a simple call to action. Take a photo of this poster and share it. Please help bring them home alive. There is no Israeli flag on these posters. There is no mention of politics. They are anandine as the missing children that used to appear on the side of American milk cartons. And still, people all over the world, especially young, cool-looking people with nose rings and neon backpacks, are ripping them down. Across the internet, videos have emerged of people angrily tearing down these posters wherever they find them. In, and just uh, for those of you listening, uh, I haven't clicked on all these links, but every city she mentions, she's got a link to a video. So I'm assuming you know she's verifying this. In New York City, in Los Angeles, in San Diego, in Santa Cruz, in Richmond, in Miami, in Philadelphia, in Ontario, in Paris... In London, they are ripping the faces of real people who are missing, babies, children, teenagers, women, elderly, to shreds. I'm not sure non-Jewish and ordinary passers-by understand how painful this is. The Jewish world is tiny and connected. This is very true. Nearly everyone knows someone who knows one of those faces. A friend of a friend. The in-laws of the sister of a boy who went to your school. And that's just me. I was scrolling Instagram this week when I came across another one of these videos. This one was of a woman and a man together ripping down the posters in Williamsburg. I think it's Williamsburg in New York, not Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, I almost skipped past it when I noticed something. I turned up the volume. After the woman finishes scraping the remainders of the poster from the street post while muttering the word Kalba, she says Kalba. I... Side note, I looked up Kalba. It's not Kalb. It's Kal. It's Kalb is the Arabic word. It's not Kalba. It's Kalb. But the, the muttering the word Kalb, the Arabic word for dog. She then turns to the camera, presumably to the person filming her vandalism, and says, fuck you, fuck you, and burn in hell. And that's, that's when my heart dropped. I know her. Sarah. Who, since I've learned from the internet, seems to go by the luck by lucky and prefers they them pronouns. I went to college to, and I went to college together at Northwestern. We weren't close friends, but we performed in a show we wrote together along with five other five other women, and we were friendly enough to have hung out more than a few times. We even had a handful of pictures together on Facebook from 2011, which I dug up in order to prove to myself that this was the same person. 
in more than one photo, we are side by side, side arms wrapped around each other, smiling. I remember having lunch or coffee with Sarah before I went to study abroad in Jerusalem my junior year, and we talked about our very different perspectives. She was Palestinian and told me that her family was unable to travel to Israel. I listened. How unfair, I thought at the time, that I'm about to board a flight at uh, board a flight to Tel Aviv when her family members can't aren't even allowed to go to visit their place of birth. We left the meal and the conversation without raising our voices, without saying, fuck you, or burn in hell. I haven't talked to Sarah in 12 years. I don't know how she went from the girl I performed at Presage Hall, ranting about feminism and consent, typical college-age defiance and edge, to standing on a street corner, tearing apart pictures of kidnapped Israelis and flinging them to the ground like a dirty tissue. In her online bio, it says that she has a master's degree in social work from the University of Chicago, and that she is working to better her community through, quote, internal, interpersonal, and systems change, unquote. It also said that she is, quote, dedicated to supporting queer and trans youth as they learn to love themselves radically and unapologetically and gain a healthier perspective of their resilience and power, unquote. Sarah doesn't seem to know that queerness can get you arrested and far worse in Gaza. On a 30 Under 30 award she won a few years ago, she describes herself as a prison abolitionist, a therapist, a social worker, a sex assault crisis counselor, a teaching artist, a resource advocate, and a performer in, a performer in participatory educational theater. It goes on. We spoke... You and I spoke about our thoughts about the October assault. Yeah. And we were very clear about, I think we gave a pretty fair accounting of the history of the creation of Israel, the sins that Israel's created. We were a very adamant and upset that we don't think that it's fair uh, in any way to call someone who criticizes the state of Israel's anti-Semitic, um, which is happening all too often. That's not what this article is focusing on. We spent plenty of time talking about that. And we talked about anti-Semitism and we talked about anti and Islamophobia. I, I bring this, this is just a, it's a painful article to read. It really bothered me when I wrote, when I read it. I read articles like that and that's why I want to be a Jesus follower because you are not, we are not supposed to be tribal as Jesus followers. In fact, in Galatians, Paul tells us we are not man, we are not woman, we are not Jew, we are not Gentile, we're not pagan, we're, we are nothing, we are just Jesus followers. And obviously this woman, neither of these women in this article, either the writer or the woman that she says that she knows, which I believe that she knows, are Jesus followers.
It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I brought it. I, what are your thoughts about it? I, I just, it felt like a, a really painful article to bring up. It's not something that we're going to have any solution to, but it just shows the level of generational anger that then leads to depravity and hatefulness that's just not helpful at all. Yeah, I think that this conversation is crucial um, for for everyone that is a part of any movement ever. <laughs> so we talked about it last week where we said that Israel is, the nation of Israel that we know now is not really like there's not a justifiable reason to why the nation of Israel is the nation of Israel. Um, we can sit there and say there's not a nation of Palestine, um, which is the argument out there that there's no nation of Palestine that's recognized by the UN or the world government or whatever. And okay. I, I, okay. And you can sit there and you can say that what the what the Israelis have done in Gaza is not necessarily humane over the last 10 years. Fair. The, the blockades, the, the tariffs, um, I, I get that. And you're starving in people. And, and here's also, and I made this connection when we had this conversation last week. I, I'm going to make this connection again. Of There's this idea similarly in the United States about the African-American population where if you continue to kick a dog while it's down, it's going to bite back. Um, and so there's this idea with the African-Americans in the United States where they have been completely... Um, they've been treated wrongly for so long and, and so then they decide and so there's justification for their actions of looting, of violence, of whatever. And you may be sitting there and saying that's a false analogy or a false... Uh, or no, that's I think a, it's a perfect analogy. No, I'm saying, I'm saying there are people out there yeah, that may that's say true. that's a fallacy. And I'm saying that if you're sitting at if you're sitting there and looking at the Gaza Strip and they are looking for somebody to give them power, because this is also the same thing when it comes to the gang violence or whatever, they, they feel oppressed by the white man and so therefore they need to find somebody who gives them power and who gives them power, the gangs do. And so therefore they find strength and whatever in that and so therefore it gives them power against this and you're like okay we're not talking about the united states we're talking about the gaza strip okay we're talking about the gaza strip where the israel <laughs> i was like where the israelis have done significantly more to to cut them out for years and years and to which they are like we're done who's going to give us the power right and that's where those people feel like they've been under a a chokehold for so long 
that they are like, okay, who's going to give us power? And these are the people that are going to give them power. And they do atrocious things. Terrible things. Which is what was just mentioned in the article that Tim just read. And so we sit there and we read about these these atrocities. And where we have to recognize as a country is what are the 10 years of atrocities that Israel has committed the 10 years prior to this? I'm not yet again. And what I cannot stress enough is that I do not condone the actions of the Hamas at all. Um, I don't sit there and think that, well, and I mean, maybe the people of Gaza were in a desperate situation or whatever. Hamas is not in a desperate situation. Please don't think that that's what I'm thinking at all. Uh, Hamas is not desperate. They're they're enacting on their own benefit and their own and for their own good. But the people of Gaza do not need to pay for the fact that they were desperate and they reached out to an evil power to try and fight somebody who was oppressing them in my opinion i it's it's very difficult um i i there this is the hard part about politics is that it's not it's not black and white there's not this good guy bad guy which we talked about last year or last week there there's not sitting there like these guys are killing all the jews and so therefore they deserve to die um there's this element of israel has played a part in oppressing other people and these people are wanting justice and vindication or at the very at the very least liberty or some sort of freedom from this this curse that they've been under for the last 10 years and even and 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 that's what's so tough and the united states is like we 100 percent support israel the entire time blah 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 and and yes i i completely agree with the idea of that i think that the united states has other interests in mind sometimes i i i don't think that that as far as united states personnel at the tippy top i don't think that they're always thinking about humanitarian needs um over anything else um and so let's talk about this incident in the united states where after i've cleared all that apart um you have this woman who is taking down posters in the united states um you have these people who are who are trying to advocate for Israelis or for anybody who's being held hostage by Hamas. I don't think it's a false narrative that these people are, are, are in rough situations. But again, I and, and I want all of them returned home ASAP. Because these are civilians. These are... Uh, they're not, 
None of these people are at war with the Hamas. They have taken them and said, you know, these are these are our hostages. And so therefore we want you to comply with whatever it is that we've got going on. But that's not okay. That's not civilians and I think I said this last week is that civilians are the target of war. Because that's what breaks people. But it is, it's insane to sit there and think that people are, are advocating for them not to be returned home, um, regardless of their nationality or whatever. I, I believe that civilians should, as much as possible, I don't, I don't want any civilians to be involved in a war that they, that they themselves are not a part of, right? Like, if people were to the invade the United States because they are against the Democratic Party that's been established in the United States or the decisions that have been made by Joe Biden or previously Donald Trump, why am I being lumped in with that, right? Like, why are people coming after me and saying that I am the person that should be held responsible for the decisions of the government that has been made over the last, you know, eight years? I... I voted, but maybe I didn't vote for either one of them. And so therefore, I'm the one that has to pay the price. Is that fair? Is that okay? I have no bigotry or, or hatred towards another, another race or another set of people. Is that okay? But that's war. And that's what Hamas wanted. They wanted war. And they wanted to see who was going to break first. And again, this is something that we talked about last week, where it's this private military structure that is allowed to, that is allowed to be free of the government of its state. You cannot, if a state decides to house a independent military you cannot sit there and say they are free from that the entire country is free from the consequences of that i'm sorry as much as i want to sit there and say you know, these people aren't at fault or anything like that, that yeah, I get you. And there's rigged elections out there and there's who's what there and whatever. I, I, I get that 100%. But if you have sat there and you have said, these people are going to save us from our, our, our oppressors and they go out there looking for a fight, then you have to be ready for hell to be to be raised upon you. You can't side with Hamas when it's convenient for you. You can't side with ISIS when it's convenient for you. I don't... You can't side with Al-Qaeda when it's convenient for you. When you feel like they have the upper hand and they can go in and they can do stuff. You can't. Or, I mean, you can. But then you have to own up to the consequences that come with that.
And that's the hard part about what's going on in Gaza. And yes, it seems immoral and and whatever. And like I said, I don't believe in bloodshed and the targeting of civilians and that kind of stuff. I, I really don't. But if you sat there and said that a violent person was was going to solve the problem for you, I, I hate to go Old Testament on you because, again, I'm not super huge into Old Testament, but I, I, I do agree with the statement of those that live by the sword die by the sword. I think that that's the perfect point. That That's what troubled me about... Let's separate what the perspective is of people who are actually in Israel and in Gaza, what they're going through, because they're living it. What I'm perplexed by is tens of thousands of people who identify, who identify as Palestinian or friends of, but in the case of this lady in the story who identifies as pa Palestinian. I'm going to, I'm saying that quite literally. She says, she says she's Palestinian. I don't know if she is or not, but let's just take it at face value. The idea, what, what concerns me about stories like this and how people who have sided with the Palestinian side, when frankly, <laughs> I think if, if, if I had to make a point from our first episode on this is just don't pick a, don't pick a side. I don't, I'm not sure that there's a side to pick and why Americans insist on picking sides on stuff that we vaguely understand around the world is beyond me, but we continue to do it because we just assume that everyone thinks like we do. Vladimir Putin thinks like some Western 20th century late 20th century, 21st century person. Um, well, a lot of these people identifying with the Palestinians and their solution to it is to be more hateful than those that they claim are the oppressors. I mean, that's, that's essentially what's going on in this story. The story is You think I'm less than human, and I think you're less than a dog. Right. If there's not a proof of... <laughs> if there's not a better proof of Jesus' worldview than that, that's it. If, if we had people in the streets... To, to beat on my my the horse that I keep banging on. If we had people in the streets by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, saying there's no justice in war, I could sympathize with that. Some of you might listening to this might think that that's a naive concept. You know, the world still is is what it is, and world still war still exists. But at least there's an idealism and a sort of equality to saying war doesn't settle problems. But instead, we seem to have two sides who want to outdo one another on who is less of a human being. 
because of circumstances that pretty much everyone who's alive now didn't have any involvement in. Right. You know, the fact of the matter is the Western world decided to create a state of Israel. We allowed it to happen. And a bunch of Arabs didn't like the fact that it got created. And everyone seems to sit around going like, well, it's really shocking that that created generational animus. <laughs> Who saw that coming? Wow. And, and aren't they all just a bunch of uh, crazy people for responding this way? Tim's been watching a lot of Curve Your Enthusiasm. Uh, and he's watching that episode where they go and eat at a Palestinian Yes, that's a phenomenal episode. And he sleeps with the Palestinian militant. And he takes the But yarmulke. the chicken's amazing. He takes the yarmulke off of his friend. Yeah. Like, the chicken's spectacular. <laughs> Anyways. That was that was a good bit of levity, but <laughs> I read that I read that little tidbit, and it just if anything encapsulates why. Yes, we live in a real world where there are bad people, and we have to defend ourselves. But if anything is indicative of violence and hatred, does not beget violence and hatred. That's it. Yes, the country that you feel an affinity for is occupied by people you don't have an affinity for. But your reaction is to go around and tearing posters off posts in New York City and call these people dogs? That's your response? And I'm supposed to feel sorry for you? No, not at all. And again, I think I, I think that there is a I, I think that there is a part of the conversation that needs to be had about Israel where it's like what you did to the Palestinians is wrong. Yeah, I mean we did I don't I think I missed I had it in my notes, but I missed you know, Israel has been expanding its settlements in the West Bank the last ten years, which it's not supposed to be doing. And even in what what it's shouldn't be doing it like legally there's an argument that it's not a legal issue why do it you're just in causing antagonism right and where it's just like you you don't need to don't israel is I think that Israel is very much known for playing the victim in a lot of circumstances. And I think in this particular instance, if you're sitting there and saying Israel is not the victim, I'm like, well, they kind of are. Okay. They have had a terrorist attack on their country. Whether you believe it or not, um, that is what has happened. Um, they have something tragic and horrifying that has happened to their country. And you can sit there and say that it's been of their own design but that's also what we could say about 9-11 just so we're clear 9-11 is very much something that we created for ourselves where we i was like osama bin laden we put in power you know uh saddam hussein those are people that we supported in iran and iraq you know 
And so to sit there and say like, okay, so this was something that was okay that we allowed to happen with Israel. I, I'm saying that that there is a certain amount of responsibility that Israel has to take from this as well. But we don't sit there in the midst of a terror attack, sit there and say, this is your fault. This no, is your problem. We, certainly don't, we certainly don't say people who've been kidnapped. Yeah, just sit there and take it. You know, like, like they're scum. Absolutely not. You don't sit there and say that. Especially when they came from, like, some of those people were at... Some of those people that are kidnapped are from... And I say some. Most of those people that have been kidnapped are from other countries because they were at that concert. They were at a peace con. They were at a peace concert. <laughs> and then they all get round up together and taken as hostages to be a part of the United Nations, you know, nobody's going to attack us kind of thing. Well, and you know what makes what makes me wonder is like how much is the united states like because the first hostages that are released are united states citizens so where that makes me think that hamas doesn't want the smoke in in millennial terms they're like wait a minute the united states will wipe us the fuck out yeah you know, uh, that's actually a funny thing. And I mean, like, if anybody's listening to this, you can turn off your anti-United States or whatever. But there's been a couple of things that I've seen in the last couple of years where, like, there was some people who were some tourists who were just touring Mexico and the and the Mexican cartel thought that they were associated with the United States. And then all of a sudden, the Mexican cartel is apologizing to them and like trying to get, or they thought, and they killed one of the guys, um, and two of them are only able to survive. Um, and they were, they were apologizing, and they were begging, and they had to turn people over to the United States, um, in order and giving these two civilians back, or these the set of civilians that they had kidnapped back to the United States. And they talked about this. Um, this was like a huge CNN yeah. op or whatever. And I was like, and I was like, golly, is the United States really like Tom Cruise's character in <laughs> Tropic Thunder? Or we said, I'm talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I want you to go and fuck your own base. You know, like, I'm like, golly, what are we doing on the other end of these phone calls where all of a sudden people are like, we're sorry. We're sorry. My bad. That was, uh, we didn't know, you know, like kind of thing, like, golly. Well, that is, that's how you ensure the peace is by instilling the fear of God into somebody. That's the old. Right, it's the, the big stick yeah, policy. It's the, the old Teddy dick. Roosevelt. Oh, big, big, big dick, big, <laughs> yeah, sorry, talk, big stick. My talk, bad. talk softly and carry a big stick from Teddy Roosevelt. And yeah, I think there's something to that, so. I, as far as I, I don't think that that's the Christian response at all. No, and that's always the the. I mean, I'm of two minds myself. I'm, I'm for this show. That's I'm trying rub. to speak of the Christian mindset of how we're supposed to look at this, and certainly in this context, when I read 
this specific instance and all of the other videos that this person has linked to where people are tearing down pictures of kids and women and all that kind of stuff and just being like, nope, they don't matter. In what way are you endearing myself to your worldview? In what way do you matter more than those people? That's always the hard part. Yeah. And always, when you are on the show, regard or whenever you listen to the show, I want you to know that every single person on this planet is unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ just as much as anybody else. So if you're sitting there and saying that those people in Israel are not those people that oppressed the people in the Gaza Strip are not as good as us. They are never not unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ. The same thing as the Palestinians. They are not unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ. And so you can't sit there and say that these people are better or worse than the other. Absolutely not. Even though they sit there and they choose violence, that's something of a sinful nature that we have decided to take on for ourselves. And we're not the judge and executioner in all of this. We have to sit there and recognize that those people are unconditionally loved, no matter what, by Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we need to love both sides on this, to where if you're sitting there and you're saying, we need resources to Gaza, 100%. I'm not saying that we need justice for Israel. And I will never, ever say that. I, I don't necessarily care for the term justice or vengeance because I think justice is often associated with vengeance. Mm-hmm. For sure. Definitely an Old Testament viewpoint, eye for an eye. Because I believe that I believe in mercy And I think that that is something that is significantly more powerful than justice. Because if we all deserve justice, then we're fucked. I think that's the. I think it's best. What you said wraps this up perfectly and kind of gets, allows me to articulate what I couldn't before, which is what my emotional response to this is. You know, I think we're, I think too many times, look, it's difficult. I admit it's difficult for us as Christians to live in the world we live in while also trying to maintain a Jesus centered life. And, I could sit here and say I do it all the time. That'd be a complete lie. But I think we're better for it. The We're walking closer behind Jesus and being a Jesus follower the closer we can look through his lens. And to read that article where someone who, yes, admittedly is a Palestinian and I assume is either an atheist or a Muslim, is not a Jesus follower, it still doesn't break my heart that someone is so wayward from the world that Jesus wants us to live in, where one can say, I'm angry about one thing, and so therefore your life and the life of your women and, more importantly, your children don't matter, 
and your dogs are lesser than dogs. And I think <laughs> I think we should get emotional every time we see that because that shows how far off we are in the world from what Jesus wants and it means that all more important how we convey ourselves day to day. And in this particular instance, that doesn't mean if this person were to show herself on the internet that we should get on there and call her a horrible person and a terrible person because that would be then just aiding to this hateful dialogue and worldview and just be like, you're misguided, you're loved, but so is the, the Jewish, your Jewish friends. And the quicker everyone understands that, the more we can all get along. So what are we getting from all this, Tim? <laughs> I don't know that we're getting anything from it. It's just been a, a no, I, I, I think it's a really easy solution. Everybody should listen to a lot more YouTube. There you go. From all of this. There you go. Go home. Listen to one by YouTube. Uh, the live version, as we talked about earlier. Uh, maybe some bad... Maybe a little 40 live. You know? Listen to the Rattle and Hum album. I think it's a great album. It's Joshua Tree live at its best. With a few other nuggets thrown in. Phenomenal album. Well, for, yeah, 40 live. Or the Rattle and Hum live. Yeah, it's just... And in a couple of uh, albums, early 2000s. Yeah, uh, you know, I still think that there's a lot of powerful messages in the Zeropa album. This is true. That's one of their... It's a slept-on album. It is, part, partially because he adopted that alter ego that turned a lot of people off, including myself, because I didn't get that it was shtick. <laughs> I like the Zeropa, but that was in between How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and... Uh... Wild Horse, uh, who's gonna run your Wild Horse yeah. album? Uh, yeah. Phenomenal album, though. All right, that's your homework. Listen to a bunch of YouTube. Just yep. wall to wall YouTube next we, next week or so. Who knows? We might have a YouTube episode next week. And if you think that the worship episode was a YouTube episode, or you felt like this was a YouTube episode, no, we got we got we if we get Andy on here, then it's just gonna be. It's going to be... Whoop. We're going to unpack this shit. Don't you worry. <laughs> and right. if you don't like you two... Go to hell. Go fuck yourself. <laughs>